We are back. Good whatever time of the day it is. Welcome back to Fantai, the podcast for all those complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas in our lives. We are so happy to be back in your ear holes with our black ass, queer ass, smart ass, probably too loud ass voices. I am your favorite and the best goddamn politics and pop culture journalist in all of the land, Jared Hill. First of all, if you grunt like that again. <laughs> and I am entertainment journalist and cultural critic Travel Anderson. Um, coming up on the show, we're going to delve into this newish mantra that has been proliferating these social media and literal streets. All Black Lives Matter. We're still down for the cause, I promise. But we've got questions and we'll have our dishonorable mentions. But first, we have a new segment we're doing on the show called Some bullshit. Now, everybody's got some bullshit that they're dealing with, but because this is our show, we're focusing on black people's bullshit. This is our chance to hear from some people we know and others we don't about some bullshit that they want to address. Get a little steam off their chest. This week, we've got Emmy Award-winning writer and comedian Dwayne Kennedy. He's appeared on Jimmy Kimmel, Totally Biased with Kamal Bell, and a bunch of other stuff. He joins us from Chicago. Hello, Dwayne. How are you? Hey, fine. How are you? I am doing all right. What is the bullshit that you have to get off your chest right now? Well, Travel, <laughs> I'll tell you. I am, in one sense, heartened by what's going on in the world. I don't know if you heard there was a little bit of a disturbance mm. these last uh, month or so. <laughs> but I've had white folks ask me, you know, what they call allies, Right. I used to call them all lies, but whatever. So, <laughs> wow, wow, wow. You know, so <laughs> people checking on you to see if you're OK, you know, all that kind of crap. But my thing is now the fake. Not I won't say the I don't want to indict everybody, but now everybody's having these epiphanies. Mm-hmm. Oh, I never knew. Oh, is that how bad it was? If I had only you mean you weren't listening to other many 3,000 million years that you've been, it's now? So we have to burn some shit down and tear some shit up? Now you, you know, you know? Yeah. And, and, and we will see what happens because I've had people say, well, or ask me, well, do you think this is, do you think it's going to be a genuine change? I don't know. Right now it's, it's, it's theater. It's, it's, it's the, it's the largest revolutionary, act of revolutionary theater in history, but will there be any substantial changes? I don't know. Well, they're taking they're taking Aunt Jemima off of the Aunt Jemima box, and and that's another thing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right, and that's 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 your move. That's your move. After 130 years, I'll tell you what. We didn't know it was bad. We're gonna take Aunt Jemima off the pancake box. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I, I was saying, uh, I had to speak to, like, a, a company earlier today. We're talking about black shit. And I was saying, like, the meme that's going around where people are saying, like, white people are acting like black people just came out last month. It's, like, <laughs> it's spot on, right? Like, it's not like black people are new. It's not like racism is new. Racism is the, the first time you've ever heard of racism started at the end of May. Like, what exactly right. are people talking about? And, like, how is this just now happening? Do you feel like, do you feel like these gestures of taking Aunt Jemima off the box and... I'm assuming Mrs. Butterworth is probably going to be next. I'm sure her number's <laughs> coming up. Like, do you yeah. feel like, do these things move you at all? Or do no. you feel like they all feel empty? They feel empty. But now, if you take Aunt Jemima off the pancake box and put her in the boardroom, Uh-oh. then that's something else. Come on. Do you know what I mean? Uh-uh. But if, you, if it's just 
cosmetic, then then what does that mean? I, I think not everybody. I don't want to speak against all white folk, but I think of certain generations operate on this still cosmetic appeasement. Mm-hmm. You know, white folks are great at looking like they're concerned. You know what I mean? They 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 got that down. You know, oh my God, we gotta we gotta have some seminars. You know, we 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 gotta do a study. We gonna study it just as long until everybody settles back down, and we gonna go back to doing nothing. And here's the thing, and this is bad. I don't advocate it because I'm, but you know, the language America, and when I say America, I mean white folks generally mm-hmm. understand best. Is violence. That's how this whole thing started. I'm not telling you all anything you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so they love it when you're playing by the rules. They love it when you're trying to appeal and negotiate and, and write uh, uh, letters to the management. They love that because they can act like, oh, man, we are on it. And we, we got somebody we're planning on doing in a few years. We, no, but when you start burning some stuff down and tearing some stuff up, then you get this. And that, there was uh, this woman, I think, Marta Kaufman. The woman that created Friends, mm. co-creator of Friends. Anyway, mm-hmm. she was doing some seminar and they were talking and she starts crying. Uh-uh. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Oh, we shouldn't. <laughs> I should have cast more black people. Really? That's what's happening? You know, it was a show set in New York. It's only just now occurring to you that the black people lived in New York? All right. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. We were saying how, uh, you know, we've been talking about Black Lives Matter uh, for the longest time, but like Black Lives Matter is a seven-year-old, you know, rallying cry, right? We've been talking about that for a long time. Like, was it right back then when you guys disagreed with it? Or was it right back then when you would hear it? Was it right two years ago? Like, why is it now right, but it wasn't right before George Floyd, uh, before you had to watch him die for eight, eight minutes and 46 yeah. seconds? Like, okay. what, what about is it this time where, oh, actually, we're right. And I kind of have this conversation when we think about uh, faith and sexuality and like, uh, I, I remember the Mormon church coming out and changing the rules about being gay in the church um, and saying like, you can be gay, but you can't act on it. And I'm like, but the Bible didn't change and seemingly God didn't change. Mm-hmm. So what changed here? Why are we having this moment? And I kind of feel that same way now. Like, yes, I appreciate the progress, yeah. but I'm frustrated that, you know, how many people being dead, how many people protesting in the streets, how many things having to be burned down, how many people having to cry, you know what I mean? Like it's for this, for us to be able to get to this moment. I'm waiting to see if there's going to be progress, I mean, pro- substantial, significant progress where where um, the white power structure is making room, getting out of the way mm. to allow black people, black people to get in and to ascend, you know, in a, su- a significant and a substantial way where they're controlling other people's lives, they're controlling careers, they're controlling money. It's about economics. I mean, Truly, if, if there was some economic justice, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying I'm a fan of Aunt Jemima on the pancake box, but, you know, I mean, I can, you know, if, if there were if there were enough black folks who had access to capital, we could start our own pancake company or this or that, you know, what I mean, where everything is not an issue. <laughs> pancakes well i don't know the cats who i don't know uh, uh the, the cat on the on the cream of wheat box i don't know his name you know i just call oh, him yeah. the brother on the cream of wheat box this is yeah. really about the pancakes for you isn't it or uncle ben or whoever <laughs> or the maid you know they also have a maid that's fair too if the only black people that come into your house are on the side of a box that's a problem Dwayne, we appreciate you being here hey Thank you, Dwayne. I thank you all. I appreciate it. Our thanks to Dwayne Kennedy for joining us today. You can follow him on Twitter at Dwayne T. Kennedy. Uh, The link is in our episode description. And you can buy his new comedy album, Who the Hell is Dwayne Kennedy? 
when we come back, why some of us take issue with the slogan, all Black Lives Matter. That's next. We are the host of My Brother, My Brother, and Me, and now, nearly 10 years into our podcast, the secret can be revealed. All the clues are in place, and the world's greatest treasure hunt can now begin. Embedded in each episode of My Brother, My Brother, and Me is a micro-clue that will lead you to 14 precious gemstones all around this big, beautiful blue world of ours. So start coming through the episodes. Uh, let's say starting at episode 101 on. Yeah, the early episodes are pretty problematic, so there's no clues in those episodes no no not at all the better ones the good ones clues ahoy listen to every episode repeatedly in sequence laugh if you must but mainly get all the great clues my brother my brother me it's an advice show kind of but a treasure hunt mainly anywhere you find podcasts or treasure maps my brother my brother me the hunt is on all right so you have been asking us how you can support Fanti and the work that we're doing here and we are happy to let you know that you can support us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. This is your opportunity to give us $5, give us $10 every single month to help the show grow, to help us to be able to come to you and give you all this good, 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 good Fanti goodness every single week. I, I I swear I heard someone saying I didn't ask shit about how to give nothing and <laughs> you're the problem I just wanted you're the problem okay uh, but if you are a frequent listener of the show we really appreciate you being a part of the the community that is growing around the show uh, and we we really appreciate everyone that has given us such great feedback on the show that sends us lengthy lengthy emails about what you think about the show and uh, we would really appreciate the support to be able to continue making the show um as travel said you can give you know five dollars or ten dollars or twenty five dollars thirty dollars a million dollars you can definitely give a million dollars we'll take it It, Mm -hmm. listen we'll take it it's fine uh if you're already a member you can upgrade your membership and add fans high to your listening habits to directly support the show so we sincerely appreciate that and really uh, hope that you'll go to maximumfund.org slash join uh, to be a part of the growing community. Also, if you are a big fan of other Max Fun shows, just know this is not the Max Fun Drive. We will be doing that at another time, but you can go to maximumfun.org for more information on all of the fantastic shows and uh, maximumfun.org slash join to find out how you can become a member. Welcome back, beautiful people. So it's time to get into our fan time. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to discuss this new mantra that seems to be spreading like wildfire of all black lives matter. Now, before I introduce our guests, I want to give a little context to this conversation. So here in Los Angeles, uh, there was a protest and an, organiza- an organizing, an organizing, an organization. There was a demonstration. There we go. Um, called All right, synonym. <laughs> there was a, or a demonstration called the All Black Lives Matter march that happened about a week and a half ago or so. Um, And it was organized by a group called Black, B-L-A-C, the Black LGBTQ Activists for Change, um, under the guise of centering Black LGBTQ people specifically in this conversation about Black Lives Mattering and making sure that, you know, we include in particular um, the names of Black trans people as we are um, organizing. There's a lot of drama behind the scenes of how uh, the All Black 
Lives Matter march came to be. But now, All Black Lives Matter seems to be a statement that a lot of people are mentioning. And so, I want to bring in our guest. She is our first return guest, our first and first return guest to the podcast. Welcome, host, journalist, all of the things, Char Jossel. Thank you all for having me. Yes, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be back, and I'm so yes. excited I have to, to talk tell you, I know, this, so. I know one specific listener who is like such a big fan of yours. It's like I could just listen to Shar talk all day. I just love her. I'm, I, I'm such a fan. So like, I know that there are people that are very happy that you're on the show this week. So thanks for being here. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So. As I said, I feel like, you know, this whole All Black Lives Matter, it's a complex thing for a number of reasons. We're going to get into all of that. But first, I want to know, we're all based here in L.A. Did either of you go to the All Black Lives Matter demonstration last week, Shar? No, I did not. And I did not. It's funny that we're having this discussion because I went on, uh, I did an Instagram live with my uh, former podcast co-host, Jace. And I was talking about this and he was the one who actually corrected me and updated me as to the personnel changes at the helms of this march. But I didn't mm. go because I had to work. Like I'm a freelancer, y'all know how it, how it goes. I had to work and, and I Listen, still, you know, it's still the coronavirus hasn't gone anywhere, guys. So <laughs> it was, it was, and then also if I'm being totally transparent on your show, I sometimes have a debilitating fear uh, when it comes to protests, and I felt like this specific one was could could have possibly been a target for nonsense, if you know what I mean. And so, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was mm-hmm. a lot that went through through my mind with this. But I I had so many friends and associates that participated, and I was there with them in spirit. And of course, I'll use my platform continuously to keep amplifying the voices of of what society may deem the unheard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jared, did you attend? I did not attend the protest either. Uh, I already have a compromised immune system and adding the level of funky Covidina, like I'm just not <laughs> that uh, inclined for protests. And I, I will say like, I'm also a bit concerned. Um, one, I am fully behind the protests and I believe that they're really important. And I would, I, I, I hope that they continue to be quite honest. Um, but I also have a growing concern about the ways that the president continues to stoke mm-hmm. stoke these uh, these frustrations with these crowds because I feel like uh, at the risk of sounding like some kind of a conspiracy theorist, the president is very aware that the people who are out in the streets right now are not voting for him. And I, I start to get the feeling that he continues to, to piss these people off, say all kinds of things because he knows that COVID is out there and knows that, you know, that he, he won this election air quotes by 77,000 votes. Um, and it just, it concerns me that like the, the more that we're out there, the more it concerns me about our lives when we consider the fact that we have to get all the way to November to vote. So uh, it's a concern to me, but I, I've not gone to the protest, um, but I, as, as Char was saying, like I've been, you know, on, you know, a bunch of shows and, and doing a lot of different content to really try and amplify those voices and make sure that uh, we're, that I'm a part of it. So how have you engaged protests, Trevo? Um, I well, I did not go because Miss Rona, as you all have mentioned, is doing what she does. Um, and additionally, I mean, as a gender nonconforming person, like just being out in public spaces a lot isn't always the best. And I've you know uh, attended and covered protests as as a journalist and had you know my my body gawked at and you know been singled out and just trying to do my job. And so being out on the streets doing the protests, that's 
that it just ain't my thing, you know? Um, right. But shout out to the girls who are out there because somebody got to do it. Um, but, I mean, I think that... It, and I, I should also say the the ways in which this particular protest was, like, put together and a lot of the the the, the politics and the posturing behind it, um, it just... It just it, I just couldn't go, I, get, I think, in good faith, knowing how it all kind of came together, um, despite perhaps supporting kind right. of the, the overall message and the overall um, idea. But are you, are either you two, either like prior to this moment, are you, are you protest folks? Are you get out in the street type of folks? Um, or do you like activi- activize, activate, do your activism wow. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> in, uh, in other ways? <laughs> For myself, I did hit the streets uh, with uh, the murder of Trayvon Martin back uh, in the about a decade ago. Wasn't that almost a decade ago that that happened? Um, And so, yeah, I think it was 2012, if I'm not mistaken. You know, there's been so many headlines. It's really hard to keep track. But uh, but other than that, no. And I think that it's important for people to kind of find their lane in all of this. Not all of us are equipped and designed to be front lines of protest type girls, but there are there are a myriad of different ways that you can show up and use your voices in ways that maybe the protest folk mm-hmm. can't because no one can do it all. And there's a million and one different lanes to be covered out here as it pertains to amplifying certain causes. And so ultimately to answer your question, no, I'm not necessarily a protest person. Jared? I, I have been a protest person. Um, I've, I've been to multiple protests um, and I, I, f- I see the value in the solidarity um, and the, the being together in those kinds of moments uh, to be able to say like, you know, this is not okay or, or pushing back or, or quite frankly being disruptive. Um, I have been a protest person. I have not gone to like a million protests, but I've been to my fair share for sure. Um, and similarly to what was what Shard was saying, I think everyone has to figure out what their role is in the movement, right? Everyone is not going to be out there with the sign and you know, you know, face to face with the police. Um, and I think that when you when you can figure out like what is the way that you can participate, either you can be out there for protest, you can be using you know a microphone in your platform as as we have talked about here. You can be a part of aiding the people who are out there, you know getting food or getting message or doing graphics or whatever it is, but you can also be working on policy. You can be working on, you know, developing what we are asking for and, mm-hmm. and working with, you know, elected officials and things like that. So there are, there are multiple different roles, even more than those um, that people can, can play to participate. And I think that I also know that there are some people um, that I've talked to who haven't been able to go or couldn't, that didn't go for whatever reasons that felt a guilt about not going. And mm-hmm. um, I would say that, I I push back on that and say, like, I recognize that you want to participate, but, like, if you can't do that, what can you do? Um, and I think that's what's probably most important for me. I feel like I've, I felt a little guilty about not going, mainly because I live a couple blocks away from Hollywood Boulevard, where it started. And I was like, sis, it's right down the street. What you doing? Um, but, you know, I got over that very quickly, so don't worry about that. Um, but I wanted to know... We were really concerned about you. We were really concerned <laughs> about that weight on you. But I wanted to know, as we get into, like, the, the fan part of, of this conversation, um, particularly when it comes to this this mantra, all black lives matter, I mean, I think 
on its face, like we all, I would assume we all agree with it, right? It, all Black Lives Matter is supposed to be um, this recognition, I feel like in particular about like the ways in which Black trans folks, Black gender expansive folks also are victims of not only state-sanctioned violence from police, but also violence within and external to the Black community. And so I hear All, Blacks not, all Black Lives Matter, and I'm like... Okay, um, but I'm wondering, Shar, when when you did you have that same connection to to the statement when you first heard it? I did, and I did. I, I felt this way because, and I've been having so many conversations about this. I went live on Instagram. I want to say it was June fourth. It was the day after or the day around uh, that we saw Ayanna Dior in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, getting mugged mm -hmm. in the uh, at the gas station or whatever. And so it just made me upset because it feels like despite Black Lives Matter being founded by three women, it feels like the Black Lives Matter movement, not the sentiment, mm. but the movement is rooted in centering cisgender heterosexual black men. And so even within the all black matter, all black, all Black Lives Matter statement, you know, we could include cis Black women in that as well because, I mean, we're fighting to keep Breonna Taylor's uh, hashtag alive right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, I certainly felt that way just as a Black trans woman and dealing with, you know, interlocking systems of oppression and being at this at these intersections, it sometimes is like, why d does my voice even matter? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Why would I be on the front line? Should something happen to me? You know, no one's going to care. No one's going to say anything. It, it can sometimes that feel that way. And so I was feeling very depleted, very low, and very, like you mentioned earlier, about the guilt. It did feel a little guilty, like, Char, you could be doing more. But if I'm being honest, it almost felt like, well, what's the point? Because mm -hmm. should something happen to me with an intimate partner or state-sanctioned police is or at the protest or at the or oh my goodness or at the protest you know ju justice for toyin you know what is anyone going to care because mm -hmm. if they're not caring about black cis women if we're fighting to keep black cis women uh and their hashtags and their causes alive who am i as a black trans woman to pipe up about anything that's how it can sometimes feel mm. i get that i get that i know for myself uh when i saw the the event coming and you know, getting text messages and all that kind of stuff and seeing the posts. I appreciated the sentiment that seemed like it was about inclusion, um, about, you know, bringing everyone's voices to the table. But I, I appreciated the way that that seemed to say, like, that there are people who are not being included in this conversation and that we need to be be more inclusive of that. I didn't feel like it, it that was... Uh, expressed for cis women in the way that you're talking about, Shar. I felt like, you know, it was a very LGBTQIA kind of thing, but like cis women are definitely a part of that that group that is excluded uh, mm -hmm. for sure. And I mean, and I, I saw, I want to say it was Kimberly Crenshaw who did a TED talk um, that, you know, she, she named all of these different black men. She asked everyone to stand up and said, if you've heard of these names, have a seat. And if you haven't, um, you know, if you haven't heard this name, you know, remain standing. And then she went through all of these black women and like no one had heard any of their names. Right. And it's because we do seem to focus on the, the murders of these black men, um, primarily cis black men who are who are dying. But we don't have these 
cishet yes exactly yes. um black men who are dying but not the women so i i'm 100 percent there with you Travel, how did you feel when you when you heard this initially? Yeah, I think I, I would echo what both of you have said. The sentiment seemed great. Um, and, and it seemed necessary for it to be said. But I think the the manifestations of how it's shown up have like drawn concern um, by a lot of people, because the folks who uh, I feel like initially were saying all Black Lives Matter, they were they were doing it to be inclusive. They were doing it to draw attention to Tony McDade, who was killed by police three days after George Floyd, right in Tallahassee, mm-hmm. Florida. They were saying it to to bring attention to Leilene Cubaletto Polanco's story, who was who died in police custody on Rikers Island during this month in June last year, right? They were doing it to to bring attention to all of these folks Nina Pop and and uh, uh the two uh, black trans women who were, whose bodies were just oh, found uh, uh, uh Rhea Rhea Milton and Dominique Fells I believe yes. were their names um, yeah. they were doing it to bring attention to these entities but then as as we pivot into the anti of this all black lives matter I think even even the the Jerry you mentioned a thing about like just like the language of it all um and how yeah. all black lives matter is very it's it's very all lives matter-esque so <laughs> so like for me uh when we were producing this I was writing down my anti-feelings and like I, I as you know Travel, I wrote down hate 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 the language right so like I feel like we've spent you know seven years trying to to say to people like all lives matter is some is a different thing. All lives matter is you know countering this. All lives matter is you know inherently kind of problematic if you if you're really understanding what Black Lives Matter is about. And so then to take the word all and then put it in front of Black Lives Matter, I feel like it it really confuses the message. Um, and I I really really do not like that. Of of all of the different ways that we could have we could have messaged this, yeah, they could have messaged this. I felt like it was poor. And people, and you know what, you're not the only one to say that because I feel like just that that messaging that's kind of like a a dog whistle of sorts because people automatically, from what I saw online, rejected it because it's like the word all is very polarizing in in the larger Mm -hmm. context of this conversation. And so I did see discussion around how people trying to derail what we, or, or why is there a need to put all when Black Lives Matter is indeed an inclusive statement, which I agree it is. But the direction, mm-hmm. what we cannot take away from is the direction that the movement seems to go into by the people itself mm. is continuously centering black men. That's yeah. what we can't take mm-hmm. away from. Because the, the the Black Lives Matter saying that is indeed inclusive statement as is. And to a point you brought up earlier, Shar, you know, the 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 Black Lives Matter like entity, the the folks who who brought this to our consciousness collectively, um, if I'm not mistaken, two out of the three black women who who put this together are queer. Um, they identify yeah. as queer and, and and they're very clear, right, about from their vantage point that it does it means LGBTQ folks, it means trans women, it means cis women, it means like literally every type of black person um but to your point it it seems like the i don't know if it's i don't know if it's the just the the way we're talking about it or the fact that we you know are live in a patriarchal society and so that's it the the the, the the 
the manifestations of our anger only seem to bubble up when it is cis black men, cis het black men who, because we, we also didn't see, for example, right, this type of outrage to this extent when um, uh, Jamel Moore was, was found dead in Ed Buck's apartment here yeah, in West oh, Hollywood, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Yeah, um, and true. so it, it is a very specific cis het black man thing. Um, but there is, you know, there's a, what do you call it? appears to be, I guess, like a hierarchy in terms of all of this. And to your point earlier, Shar, it means that like for, for black trans and gender expansive people, like what, what about us? And I hate that we have to say all black lives matter and risk that conflation that you mentioned, Jared, um, in order to, you know, make people know that like we here too, and we facing the same violence, if not compounded as well. Well, I think also to that point, uh, when we first started seeing all the protests happening uh, post George Floyd, uh, I was saying a lot that I feel like people more than they are angry, they are tired and we're frustrated and we are, you know, kind of exhausted by the 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 onslaught of like always there being another story. But part of that feeling from the George Floyd story, I also have around all, all Black Lives Matter because it's like. Char and I did uh, Van Van Lathan's podcast mm-hmm. mid year last year, sometime. Yeah, it was and last And we April. had this conversation. Was that okay? So it was more than a year ago now, um, and it was a it was a great conversation with Van Lathan, formerly from TMZ. Uh, you guys probably would know him mostly from uh, the Kanye video where Kanye was at TMZ showing his mm-hmm. ass. And we had a really great conversation about you know the issues of the community and part of what we talked about and ended up becoming a clip on social media was us talking about not feeling like we have the support of black folks on mass. And he shared that video on Instagram and Shar and I talked on the phone like, oh, we know how this is about to go. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> yeah. And, and like, and the the comments in that section in the comment section there were egregious from a lot of people. And it required myself. So I don't know if you went and responded to it or not, but like, no, I, I you know me. Re- I was yeah. Yvette Noel, sure. <laughs> I was yeah. not responding I, uh, to anything. Well, like, I definitely, first of all, I love you for calling out Yvette. If you guys don't know who it is, if you know, you know. If you, <laughs> if don't, you, you know, know, you know. Um, but like, but I, uh, but I went and did a post and kind of, and kind of explained to Black folks like. The, the black folks that are in these comments saying to us like, oh, you know, why do you have to bring that up and blah, blah, blah. You are the same as the white people who are telling us Absolutely. that racism isn't a thing. And so we dealt with this last April and have been talking about how long that had been going on. And here we are more than a year later still having this conversation. And, and I know for myself that I'm tired that this is even necessary in the first place. I think what hurts for me, particularly as a black woman in the space, is that it feels like, like I become so impassioned so saddened, so filled with rage when these stories happen. You, I immediately want to take action. But when I zoom out and really look at how none of this energy is ever reciprocated, typically from what I've seen, when black trans women are murdered, the only people talking about it are other black trans women. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so to, to kind of swallow that hard pill of truth, it's like I said, like I mentioned at the top of this segment, it's enough to make me just want to slow all the way down because it's all about self-preservation as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to 
um, overexert myself for a cause that I know, like I said, wouldn't be reciprocated to me. And at this point, no one can convince me of otherwise, because when I've seen uh, these headlines about Dominique and Rhea, and even with Ayanna Dior's uh, public mobbing that happened in Minneapolis, I saw so many cis black people either being complicit in affirming that or providing reasoning as to why it was okay which was enough to just send me emotionally spiraling because it's like, okay, Charwell, what are we doing? What's the point? I will say that I was um, heartened by the, I think they said estimated 15,000 people who showed up to the Brooklyn Liberation um, demonstration, um, which was, you know, which centered and was organized primarily and led by um, black trans women and femmes. Um, And uh, shout out to, to, uh, um, this is actually a spoiler for one of my honorable mentions, but whatever, um, to Raquel Willis and the Okra Project and the Marsh P. Johnson Institute and all of the organizations there. But like that, that for me, signaled uh it gave me a little bit of hope yeah. when when we when we start talking about this because never have i seen you know people in in such large numbers like screaming black trans matter black trans lives matter um and screaming that you know black trans power matters and and all of this stuff how many and, of those people were black do we have the numbers for how many of those protesters were black we don't however just you know just looking at photos I will say there was a there was a lot of white folks there. I mean, there was yeah, a lot of colored folks. That's why I asked because yeah. I saw the photos yeah. as well. And it's I'm, I'm, and I'm not diminishing it. I no. greatly appreciate it and have nothing but respect for my sister Raquel. Oh my gosh, love her. But I'm saying as far as the the turnout of the people, you get what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 at an all Black Lives Matter kind of an event, you would hope to see a lot more Black people at an event like that to be able to to stand with you. Um, and I, I think about, as you, you mentioned, Ayanna Dior, uh, Char, I, I, I just watched, at the risk of spoiling one of my um, my dishonorable <laughs> mentions, or one of my honorable mentions, I should say, uh, in, the, in the disclosure documentary on Netflix, I was really, uh, I really had to sit for a moment and, and process what they were talking about, the ways that trans people have been depicted in media for years and how that informs parents about their children and what their children have to face going forward in the world. And when I look at that Ayanna Dior video and the fact that there was a, I mean, there was a swarm of people attacking her, right? And then to see people not coming to her defense in that conversation, I imagine like the parents of a trans child seeing that and thinking that that's what their child has has to expect. And I think about, I, I mean, quite frankly, Char, I immediately think of you in those moments of like, you are like, uh, the person I interact with the most that is trans and like that I have the most perspective on and from. And so I, I really stuck, that really stuck with me thinking like, what is it like to be the parent of a trans child and to see that image time and time again, and then to hear that your child is trans and, and to worry about that. And then what is it like to be a trans person and see that and know that like there is not someone coming, uh, so a cis black person that is going to come speak up for you in the same way. There will maybe be a woman. Floyd. There will maybe be a cis right. black woman, typically with what I've seen when these types of things happen. There, there will maybe be a cis black woman or a group of cis black women that come in, but it's towards the end typically. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. always cis black women from what I've seen. Cause I've seen, I think there's been two of these. Last year, there was a public mobbing of Malaysia Booker in the streets of Dallas. Mm-hmm. So seeing Ayanna Dior's was very reminiscent of that and brought up a lot of triggers. Cause I covered M- Malaysia's story for Zora. I spoke 
to Malaysia's family members during that trial. It's just, it's enough. I'm struggling to find my words because it's, it's gutting me even thinking about the pain that, uh, this, this woman's family and friends went through with, with the outcome of all of that. And even having to watch that video for research purposes, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Travel, you have any final thoughts? I mean, I just, I guess I'm interested in where where the movement goes from here, if the movement goes anywhere. And I think, you know, there are so many um, efforts being made, particularly by black, trans, and gender expansive folks to ensure that the broader Black Lives Matter movement um, is, is that we can participate in that as well. Um, but I'm also so often reminded of, you know, the instances that, that Shar has brought up with Malaysia Booker and Ayanna Dior and, and all these other folks and, you know, Ashley Marie Preston, who is uh, a, a fabulous activist she she loves shaking the table honey and i'd be right uh-huh. there with her sis Me too. To shake it honey <laughs> shake it absolutely <laughs> um she just wrote a piece um that you know unfortunately continues to be sobering for me she just wrote a piece um, because she just celebrated her 36th birthday and she talks about how you know when you look at statistics um a lot of black trans folks don't make it to their 36th birthday i, be- I believe it's i believe the statistic is that the the average uh like death age well, yeah it's 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 growing now thankfully but for a few years uh yeah it was 35 it was and Ashley Marie old. Preston also started a campaign hashtag Thrive Over Thirty Five for on if you happen to be black, trans, and a woman on your thirty fifth birthday hashtag Thrive Over Thirty Five. It's sick that we have to even do these things, but that's my point. Well, yeah, I, it's, I, it's sick. It's 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 annoying, and like you sh- we shouldn't have to. Shit. No, yeah, Shar. <laughs> I remember you saying that to me once. We were. I feel like we were in a car somewhere and you were talking about how the average life expectancy of a black trans woman is 35 years and how how it felt to just have that as a piece of data that that you have to live with every day. Um, And that that really rung in my ears for a long time and still does to hear you say that. And I want to give you the final word here um, uh, on this moment. Like, what do you what is what is bringing you hope? What are you what are you looking forward to? Like what what's What's giving you any kind of and uh, hope in this moment? I guess what's giving me hope, much like Travell mentioned, was was the march that happened in Brooklyn. But I want to emphasize that we're not going to get anywhere until we tear all of this stuff down. We Amen. cannot afford to compartmentalize. We cannot afford to put things on the back burner because what Come we, on. what the leadership that we have been following and adhering to is just those plans are just not working. So if we're going to attack racism as a community, we also need to attack sexism, misogyny, homophobia, and transphobia because my life and other people's lives matter just as much as yours do. And until it's a level playing field, we're not going to get anywhere. And that's my one main concern on the other side of these protests. What will it look like? Because I, I, we're just not, I firmly believe we're not going to reach a resolution of any sort if we still have people clinging on to patriarchal and uh, patriarchal ideas and systems of oppression. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Whew. All right, Shar. Uh, tell people where they can find out more about what you're doing and and all of the things that all the places that people that love to hear your voice can do that. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm kind of all over the place right now. I can call myself a writer because I have two pieces dropping this week. I don't know if it'll be out in in time for the show. Hold um, on, hold on. 
You don't call yourself a writer because you have two pieces dropping this week because you've been because you've been dropping pieces. I know, I know, but these two really, really mean a lot to me because I stepped out of my comfort zone of entertainment and I'm talking to some some activists, some movers and shakers. And so, yeah, I say that to say you can find me everywhere if you want to keep up with me at Char says so. That's Char with an S, and that says so, not say so. And you'll find <laughs> and can keep up with me with everything that I'm doing there because, like I said, I'm all over the place. We love yes, to see it. Yes, and Shard, Shard loves an Instagram live moment. When I, I tell do. you, <laughs> if I get on Instagram, Shard is probably live. And she be going at it, and I love it. Uh, Shard, we thank you so much for joining us and being our first returning champion on the show. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got dishonorable mentions and your feedback. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Okay, so we are back for a brief moment just to talk about the earbuds that you probably see me wearing if you look on Instagram and you see that I have the little the earbuds in. They are from Raycon. We are working from home. We are working out from home. We are cooking at home. You guys are at home with your children. God bless <laughs> you. And sometimes you just need to be able to escape from whoever else is in the house or who's next door. Travel has talked about his neighbors getting it in and making a lot of sound that we don't have to get into. But no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're listening to, uh, before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair of wireless earbuds, you've got to check out Raycon. Yeah, so now these Raycon earbuds, they start about half the price of all the other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing of all those top audio brands you already know. Their newest model, Everyday E25 earbuds, six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, which is important for those of us who are technology challenged. They've got more bass. Like you. Okay. They've got more bass and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise-canceling, noise-isolating it. I really enjoy them when I pop them in because it gives me my music and not the neighbor's music. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon for yourself. You can get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash fanti. That's F-A-N-T-I. That's buyraycon.com slash fanti for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash fanti. Hey, I'm Janet Farney, host of the JV Club podcast. Ah, high school. Was it a time of adventure, romance, and discovery? Class of 95, we did it! Or a time of angst, disappointment, and confusion. We're all tied together by four years of trauma at this place, but enjoy adulthood, I guess. The truth is, it was both. So join me on the JV Club podcast where I invite some great friends like Kristen Bell, Angela Kinsey, Oscar Nunez, Neil Patrick Harris, and Keegan-Michael Key to talk about high school, the good, the bad, and everything in between. My teenage mood swings are getting harder to manage. The JV Club. Find it on Maximum Fun. Welcome back, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people. I feel like I've said that multiple times during this episode, so that means y'all are real cute. I feel like you're talking to me, so I'm receiving it. Uh... I really like my shirt. Shut up. Keep going. (laughs) 
All right, it's time to get into our listener feedback. This is the section where we read out some of the emails, some of the tweets, the DMs that you've been sending us about past episodes. And this one comes from Eliza via the emails who had a comment about our tough question a couple weeks back about what should black cops and black military folks do in terms of supporting the movement should they quit their jobs. This is what Eliza had to say. Um, They say, the conversation reminded me of something else that I think about a lot. I'm a law student in, pu- in a public interest program. Everyone in my program agrees that there are serious problems with mass incarceration and prison conditions in this country, but I still have colleagues who want to become prosecutors. On the one hand, it's hard for me to imagine how someone who truly understands the failings of the carceral state could become a prosecutor. She says, uh, progressive prosecutor, quote-unquote, is an oxymoron. But on the other hand, as she's starting to get some real-world experience, she's starting to realize how important those individual choices are on a systemic level. And so I wanted to ask you as our resident politics expert, considering what we shared about like our thoughts in terms of, you know, the black black cops, black military members, does that apply here too for black lawyers? What do you think? Well, I think for myself, when I think about an issue like this, one, I think about how hard it must be to have that job, kind of similarly to when we talked about uh, being a police officer. But I also think like, Yes, the way that we our system is structured with prosecutors and their their uh, proximity to district attorneys and police and all that kind of stuff like it's inherently problematic. Mm-hmm. However, I would rather have one of us in there than not, mm. right? And so if I ha- if there's a progressive black person that can be in that role and that can uh, be the person that makes the the calls on uh, you know, who gets prosecuted and who doesn't or what charges end up looking like or what sentences end up looking like. If I'd rather see one of us in that district attorney role, in that prosecutor role, in those kinds of roles, as opposed to someone who I wouldn't, who someone I don't trust. And I don't mean just like, as opposed to a white person, right? But like, as opposed to a person I wouldn't trust because you mm-hmm. could put a black person in that role that wouldn't be good, right? Um, and so I, I would say like, I would rather, while this system exists, and we're talking about burn all this shit down, while this system still exists, I think it's important for us to be in as many of those positions as we possibly can be to make them better. also recognizing, like we talked about on uh, on the show a couple weeks ago, like being the black journalist in the room is difficult. And how long do you take t- keep taking one for the team? Yeah. Similarly, I think when you're a black prosecutor or a black police officer or whatever, how you you have to ask yourself like, how long do you keep taking one for the team, and how long do you keep putting up with the bullshit so that you can you know be a part of of the change? So I I get the the reservation there, but I also think it's important for people to be in the room where it's happening. Yeah, I'm reminded of a lot of the criticism that Kamala received, uh, Kamala Harris received as she was, you know, running for the Democratic presidential nomination. Um, and a lot a lot of, like, movement makers, movement builders, like, had issues with her being a prosecutor and her record as a, 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 a prosecutor. Um, and, you know, I, but I think you're right that, like, you know, I would rather have somebody who professes to be a, a progressive in some of these systems while we still have said systems. Because, um, you know, at, to what Char just said right before break, we want to burn all this shit down. Um, right. No, yeah. And I think with, with Kamala Harris, like, obviously Kamala Harris is in contention to be vice president, uh, the vice presidential candidate. And within the next seven, eight weeks, we'll dis- we'll find out, you know, who that person's going to be. But, like, if it does end up being Kamala Harris, like, 
we have to hold her feet to the fire as well, right? Like, mm-hmm. I liked Kamala Harris as a candidate, but we also have to hold her accountable the same way that we're going to have to hold accountable uh, um, Joe Biden should he become president. So um, thank you for your letters. You can send us your letters uh, to fanti at maximumfund.org, or you can DM us on Twitter or Instagram at Fanti Podcast. So I want to jump into our dishonorable mentions. This is where we are calling out someone for their good or for their stupid um, things that didn't necessarily warrant a full episode, but were definitely worth uh, shouting out. I guess I'll jump in and go first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to shout out Joshua Johnson, who is a new anchor over at MSNBC and NBC News. He hosted a special on NBC News Now, which is the streaming platform from NBC News called Pride and Protest. Uh, it really focused on the intersections of blackness and queerness and uh, in this moment. And I thought it was a really, really fantastic hour of content. Um, really focusing on the ways that that intersectionality, uh, the ways that that looks, the way that it plays out, and the ways that it impacts uh, the movement for uh, for pride, but also um, for Black Lives. There was some weirdo wearing a turban on there. We don't have the to get disrespect. into that. The um, disrespect. Uh, but Jesus. <laughs> but as I'm as I'm shouting out as I'm shouting out Joshua Johnson, I do want to shout you out, Travel, because you were a part of Pride and Protest. Oh yes, you thank were you so also. Much. You were also featured in the Disclosure documentary this past week that came out on Netflix. Disclosure is a documentary um, featuring the stories, uh, featuring, really, I feel like Disclosure, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe you should just do this, but like Disclosure (laughs) is uh, a documentary that talks about the images of trans people in the media and how they've had impact on, uh, on culture and society over the course of, you know, history, really. Uh, And it was a fantastic documentary that's on Netflix right now. Travel is in that as well. And... (laughs) Honey, she's had a busy week because you are also in the New York Times with your bae um, uh, in a in a beautiful photo, as, in, as you described it, with your luscious body. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, you can find that that Times feature uh, that came out this past Sunday. Uh, there's links to it on on Travel's social media and uh, on our social media as well. So check that out. So honorable mentions to the blackness and the gayness and the queerness and the transness <laughs> and all of the nests uh, this past week. Yes, yes, yes. My first, um, as I mentioned earlier, my first uh, uh, honorable mention goes to the Brooklyn Liberation March organizers led by black trans women. They were able to bring together an estimated 15,000 people to to say all at once, right, that black trans lives matter. Um, I want to play us just a short clip from a speech that, you know, longtime organizer, former co-worker of mine at Out Magazine, um, Raquel Willis, said about um, that she had, it was a call and response that she did with the audience. I believe in my power. I believe in my power. I believe in your power. I believe in your power. I believe in our power. I believe in our power. I believe in black trans power. I believe in black trans power. And so I love that. And shout out to Raquel and all the work being done um, in favor of... Of, of black trans lives. Absolutely. Okay. Um, my first dishonorable mention is going to ABC uh, for canceling the Baker and the Beauty. Now, are you serious? I, you, I'm dead ass <laughs> because I think it's important. Number one, just because it's a beautiful show uh, featuring a first generation immigrant family from Cuba and their bakery and their love and how their lives really get turned upside down when they're sexy ass son uh falls in love with the superstar (laughs) um i flew through all nine episodes of this season and i'm really praying that it gets picked up by a streamer if you haven't watched it it's on hulu right now and you should definitely give it a watch but i think it's it's uh interesting that the show got canceled in a moment where we're talking about 
uh, diverse stories, right? And needing mm. to see more black and brown stories. And this was a Cuban family. And it was, it, and I'm not just supporting it because they were first gen Cuban, right? Like it was a really good show and I really enjoyed it. It was funny, it was heartfelt. And so I, I'm hoping that one of the streamers pick it up. If you are a fan of The Baker and the Beauty, there are, there is a change.org petition that's going around that has um, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of signatures right now uh, supporting the show. Um, and I just think it's important that we have that kind of representation uh, on on television because we don't see those kinds of images enough yet. Speaking of the importance of black stories, um, I'm giving an honorable mention to um, the black reporters at the Los Angeles Times who organized and staged an action today. Today is Tuesday when we're recording this um, using the hashtag Black at LAT, um, sharing the experiences of former black reporters black former LA Times employees. Yeah. Um, in terms like, of- they were over that black shit. <laughs> I'm up out of here. Black former LA Times employees, myself included, um, our experiences that included, you know, is systemic racism at the publication, um, which is representative of issues in the entire journalism institution, as we spoke about before um, on our episode, The Newsroom, where it happens. And so shout out to them for, for organizing and, and putting all of that information on Front Street and holding their masthead and their institution accountable. Also, for full transparency, as we said before, Travell and I are the uh, president and vice president, respectively, of the National Association of Black Journalists here in Los Angeles. Uh, We put out a statement in solidarity with the reporters under the Black at LAT hashtag and, and, you know, stand with them in solidarity. Um, Lastly, my last honorable mention is going to go, I never thought I would say this. So I, I'm, I, I didn't see this coming, but I really want to shout out to the teenagers of the world and the K-poppers of the world uh, for your overwhelmingly underwhelming attendance at Trump's Tulsa rally this past weekend. Um, and I want to reframe the coverage because I saw that uh, one of the ideas that we've had for a segment here that Laura uh, came up with was like, let me reframe that for you. And we've never actually done it as a segment, but definitely want to reframe uh, this this one piece of news because a lot of the, the news around this has been that, oh, they pulled a prank and they got over on Donald Trump. And I saw someone tweet this and I thought it was really, really valuable. They was like, no, 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 this wasn't a prank. This was activism, right? People knew what they were doing. They knew exactly the effect that it would have. And so I just want to shout out to all of the teenagers and K-poppers and everyone that was involved. Is K-popper a word? No, it's not. Um, And so uh, (laughs) I just want to shout them out because what you did was fantastic and I am completely here for it. Last but not least, my dishonorable mention goes to all those people who who have stopped already posting about Black Lives Matter and Black Trans Lives Matter. And you've gone about your business because your your city, your state has reopened. And so you don't care about the movement and the work anymore. We see you and we will be holding you accountable. I'm just going to leave it right there. Um, also, really, uh, I, I just think it's important to see that to acknowledge that as we continue to go through this moment, like there are all kinds of different movements that are popping up within this movement right now. There's um, from Build Power. There's one that is popping up talking about how Hollywood needs to change. Mm-hmm. We're talking about how newsrooms need to change. We're talking about a lot of different places and the ways that they need to change. And so hopefully we will continue to see that change uh, come about. So um, 
listen, we thank you for turning, tuning in with us and, uh, and rejoining us back this week. We're excited to be back on the air after a week away. If you are listening on iTunes or Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, excuse me, you can um, jump into the app and give us a five-star review. It would really mean a lot to us, to people helping um, them to find the show and understanding what the show is and why you love it so much. So we'd appreciate your five-star review. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, you can tweet at us at Fanti Podcast or follow us on Instagram at Fanti Podcast. And as I said earlier, you can send us an email um, to Fanti at MaximumFun.org. And you can become a member of MaximumFun.org slash join and let them know that you love this show. This one. <laughs> this show. <laughs> this one right here. Yes, with at MaximumFun.org slash join, you can become a member and you can financially support us. Um, we really would appreciate What was that, Travel? Say that again. Financially support us. Um, and we would Oh, really- financially support us. <laughs> I hate you so much. Uh, we would really appreciate that. As always, shout out to the creator of our show's music, Corice. C-O-R dot E-C-E is how you can find him on wherever you get Slayworthy Audio. And Ashley Wen, who is always helping us out with our social media videos. She did our, um, our main photo as well. Shout out to her in the work that she does. Um, as always, we want to thank our producer, Laura Swisher and our other and producer Jordan Kelly. Sorry, y'all. The instruments are broken today. <laughs> this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Activism. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs>